In 2012, right after finishing his PhD in neurobiology, Martin Inderbitzin finally decided to go for a well-deserved break. He went skiing with his friends, but the trip ended far less pleasant than he could ever have imagined. After a fun night of fondue and wine with friends, Martin suffered from a stomach ache in the days that followed. Because the pain did not subside, he decided to visit his doctor. The diagnosis? A rare type of pancreatic cancer. He found his strength in another patient's story. Martin's doctor told him about another young man who survived and was now skiing in the mountains. For the doctor, that was an anecdote. For Martin, a mantra that kept his spirits up every time he received bad news. Over time, Martin started thinking how impactful stories of others with similar struggles to ours can be. To help other patients like him, he started a media project, My Survival Story. He traveled around the world with his wife, Katerina, to search for, record and film patients with inspiring stories. The stories are published in a podcast and on the website called My Survival Story. Martin believes that a good personal story can have a huge impact. The challenge, however, is in presenting the story in the right way. My name is Tiasha Zaitz and you're listening to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast where we talk about how technologies are adopted around the world. Today you will hear some of Martin's thoughts and tips on how to be compelling in presenting your story and we also talked about the need for mental health support for seriously ill patients. What's your favorite fairy tale? My favorite fairy tale? Yes. Oi. It's a long time I haven't like listened to fairy tales. Or maybe a movie, like an inspirational story that you saw before 2012. One of the, one an inspirational story that just comes to my mind. I saw it after 2012 is, is the, the movie they made about Stephen Hawking's because there in his case, the doctors gave him a very, very little chance that he will just live for like for a certain period of time. And for me, his, his like mind and his, his pure will to not give in and, and walk his path. And that was so truly inspirational to me. And probably also one reason why he became so successful was because he had to go through so much burdens. And, and this was really a story that was really touching me. Yes. I could identify a lot because in the end, cancer or, or any illness is, is not how you say it's just the, the catalyst for something else. And what I think it's interesting is the something else. Like, what do you make out of it? When you got the diagnosis, your doctor advised you against uh, Googling it. Yes, he said, this is the, uh, because I wanted that he writes it down. And he said, yeah, this is, but he said, don't look it up. Did you ask him why he said that? No. And, you know, if somebody gives you a diagnose, you're, it's a kind of out of body experience. So anyhow, it's very tricky to 
grab what they say or so. But I remember he was saying, don't look it up. I was not questioning why. But from a patient perspective, that almost gives you an, an additional curiosity on what, what do you have. Yeah, because you want to know why he's saying that. The prognosis for pancreatic cancer is really tough. So you quickly learned that... If you fall into the reg regular statistics, you've only got maybe two or three years. Yes, it's like I have a special type of pancreatic cancer. It's called azinor cell carcinoma. It's very rare, um, but the statistics are not better. And so I read that I have 5% chance to survive three years. But it was a random Google search, so... You know, as a patient, you just find information and then you think that's it. But the statistics are really not good. When you got the diagnosis, you were in the middle of your PhD in neurobiology. I just finished my PhD in, in neuroscience. Yes, that's okay, right. Okay. So you had uh, some knowledge about biology and the impact of the way we think on our behavior and the way we feel. Do you think that influenced in any way on how you decided to approach the, the diagnosis afterwards? Well, that's the funny thing. You know, I did a PhD on the topic of stress, <laughs> but when I got into this situation, it did not help me at all. Like I say, often it's PhD maybe makes you smart, but it doesn't make you capable. Like, I had no idea how to deal with the situation. I knew what was going on in my mind, but it was not helping me that I could cope better. Mm. Kind of similar as in medical practice where doctors finish their studies and they realize they don't know how to talk to the patient. Yes. So they need years of experience yes. to, to do that. Yes. You found some encouragement in a story that your, your doctor told you, which was a story about another patient that not only survived, but even thrived after his diagnosis. That's right. And when he gave me the statistic, he, I think he wanted to cheer me up. And he was just telling me the story of another patient they successfully treated and that was doing fine. And this story for me became kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. Like when I was hit by this Google search, I, of course, first I was really floored and totally desperate and I cried and it was horrible. But then after a while, I was thinking of this story. So this really helped me to re-shift my mindset somehow. And even decide to do a triathlon. Did you do it? Yes. I uh, literally signed up in the middle of the chemo um, during one of the sessions where another patient was like not doing well and annoying and asking questions and and I just said no I I don't want to end up here I want to do, I want to thrive so I I signed up in the middle of the chemo and 3 months after I finished chemo I I crossed the finish line of my first race That must have felt like the the most winning moment in your life It was really vic victorious, but the funny thing on this race is the, the the best moment I had during the bike session, not when I crossed the finish line, because in the bike session, you're like still feeling good. It's in the middle before you have to run. And then at one point, there was like an ambulance coming next to me, which was from the same hospital that I was treated. And 
it was so symbolic. I nearly had to cry while I was on the bike because I knew I'm coming from this hospital and now I'm on the bike, like doing this race. So that was really emotional. Yeah. And when did you decide to start um, like a support website, podcast and video content on other cancer survivals to be an encouragement to the others? The idea came after I went through my first treatment and it slowly grew in my mind. I wanted to do something. I was not sure how. And and more and more I observed not only within me, but in other patients, this kind of magic power of stories. And I went to the internet and I could find a lot of stories, a lot of written stories, a lot of forum where people like were just sharing and I say vomiting out their experiences. But I couldn't find well-told stories like a good storytelling that helped me and so i said okay that's what i want to do so how many stories did you find and you also decided to travel the world for this purpose so it's not that you were looking for patients that were around you you actually went all over the place that's right we recorded more than 30 stories in four different continents like 12 different countries yes how long did that take to make Uh, the recording lasted for three and a half months and the post-production took us much longer. <laughs> It's like, that's the point. If you want to tell a good story, you have to invest time and skills and it takes you more time, but I believe it's worth it because a well-told story will make or have a much bigger impact. You said an interesting thing in your uh, presentation at the Frontiers Health Conference, which is that just because you have a good story, that doesn't mean that your story, story will have an impact if you don't know how to present it. That's right. Yeah, having a good story doesn't make you a good storyteller. And I think that's true for many fields, but especially in cancer, there are a lot of good stories. But the people who have these stories, the, they, they have other professions, they do something else. And so if we don't help them to tell the story, it will never have the impact that we're looking for. We can move from this to digital health solutions and entrepreneurships. I think it's very connected because oftentimes if you listen to presentations of digital health solutions, uh, CEOs try to start with a personal story. My son, me, I had a disease, my friend had a disease or something like that. The thing that can happen is that because this becomes such a model, people don't feel empathy when they hear a story on stage that's right um but i still believe that a personal story is always a good way to start um if it's a good story <laughs> uh, because it will allow you to connect with the people telling the story and when you're connected you you have another way to reach your audience so i really believe in in personal stories and especially in a time of today when so many stories are fabricated i think there is a hunger for personal stories mm. from a stylistic point of view i think another very interesting approach is in any case you have to rehearse a lot on how you pr prepare your presentation but it can be potentially even more impactful if you have a good presentation and you end up by saying i know this because you know this happened to me or this happened to my friend and the, the personal story comes in the end. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. It's like the, when you watch the movie and then at the end it's like based on a true story. 
concept yeah and yeah and, yeah. and the perception is completely different yes. suddenly you're like oh yes you feel completely different yeah that's interesting yeah, yeah i like that yeah when you got the diagnosis in 2012 digital health was not as huge um sector as it is today can you compare uh, how it is if you get a diagnosis today compared to there uh, to then in terms of the technologies that are available and the sources of information that are available i think what i observe definitely is that more and more the information is online i mean in my hospital we still have the leaflets and the, and the printouts but that will will go away um i'm convinced about it and so you definitely see there another way how we patients find information and find like the the things we are looking for um what i also observe is that the communication with my hospital or so it's much easier i mean i don't know how it was 10 years ago but but how i reach them and how I interact with them i don't know so much about like digital health let's say data or so it's it's always a question what you mean by the digital sphere mm -hmm. in this sense yeah a lot of solutions address communication information peer support things like that um and if i turn to therapies there's all these sorts of new uh, avenues and ideas that are coming up immunotherapy is on the rise in the last years unfortunately for the pancreatic cancer uh, most therapies are currently still in the clinical trials with not too much of the success so since you were a, a scientist uh, you had a phd as we mentioned did you search through any of the of the research that was available at that time and that that's available today um at that time i didn't because after my initial google search i was so shocked i didn't dare to go back to google <laughs> and now it's different now i'm much I would say I, I learned a lot also to to cope with my situation. So I feel more courageous to do that now, definitely. But just quickly to come back about the digital solutions and the change of the landscape in healthcare. I think what is very important is that we always keep in mind that digital health should always be the the sugar on the cake and not the cake itself. Sometimes I feel like people just want to invent a new app so they have a new app. And I think you should only do that if it's really a benefit for the idea that you want to bring. And sometimes um, just making something digital is not the solution. And so in, in our case, um, the reason why we really go online is because um, mental health or psychological distress in cancer has still a lot of stigma around it. Um, a lot of women, they go to support groups. Women are much more open to talk about, but men are not. And so they go online. And men maybe also have more troubles to pick up the phone and say, hey, I need a psychologist, because then they feel weak. And we still try to understand or fight these pictures that men have to be strong and they cannot be weak. And so one reason why I think it's so important for us to be online and digital is because we can reach this audience that maybe otherwise would not be reachable because they go online. So if you manage to get in front of their eyes, maybe we can share a story of another man, how he coped with it or a woman. It doesn't matter, but the men are just a bit more sensitive and, and then motivate them to find the help they need. 
So did you go to any of the support groups or did you reach out to I did not go to a support group, but I go to a psychotherapist. But it also took me a while until I was like, okay, I need help. So, and the interesting thing, our healthcare system, when you get cancer, at least in my country, you get oncologists, the surgeon, the radiologists, like you get all the, the medical side, but you don't get by default, or at least in my time, um, a psychologist. I think it should be a default of the team because cancer is such a mental thing. I mean, if you have an emotional breakdown, you're probably going to stop your chemo. If you're going to stop your chemo, you have a much uh, f like a f littler chance to survive. So I think we should really like start the conversation and try to, to make it more normal that, that it's just a normal thing that you need to talk with somebody because it's, it's a very, very distressful situation. Were you prejudiced against visiting a psychotherapist? Yes. Totally, because um, you have to to say no. I, I can manage. Um, I'm I'm strong. You know, it's it, we still when we break our leg, then oh yeah, somebody broke the leg. But when we break our mind, we think it's our fault, and we think that um, it's it's like we did something wrong. But we have to change that. If we didn't, it's just that can happen, and. So when you break your leg, you're also not going to your best friend and say, hey, can you fix it? But when we break our mind, we think that's the, the right thing to do. And even here, your neurobiology science background didn't help you cope with that. No, because this is very theoretical. You know, I was doing neuroinformatics, building models of motion and stress and, and having a, a coaching session around psychology or stress about dying or like existential questions that's the question that's really something different yeah patients with serious illnesses or chronic conditions often say that uh, they don't regret having this experience because they it, it brought them some sort of a personal growth and especially when you beat the disease or when the disease goes away for the first time that's an especially powerful and empowering uh, moment the problem becomes if the disease comes back, which in your case happened, right? Yeah. So you mentioned two interesting things. The first is that we observe in cancer a lot of, we call it post-traumatic growth, like the contrary to post-traumatic disorder. And so that's true because cancer can be a wake-up call that you realize, not only you realize, you feel that your life is limited, and when you have this realization with 20, 30 or 40, you have an advantage, an advantage to somebody who is 70 and realizes later and then says, oh, I should have done X and Y. And so if you have this moment with 30, it can be an advantage. On the other side, um, it is very tricky to cope when the cancer comes back because you always have this uncertainty, uncertainty like that maybe it's going to be over very, very soon. And also for a lot of cancer patients, to, like going back and having scans, I experienced always a lot of anxiety around it because you don't know what's going to happen. So we we say that um, we call this a scan anxiety, like the anxiety from a scan. And it's it's like every three months or six months or one year, depends a bit on your cancer, is this moment of 
oh, what's going to come now? So that's is everything going to be okay? Exactly. Yeah. And it's um, it's stressful, but on the other side, it's also good because it's kind of a check. Like, okay, what are you doing with your life? And so it's always like, okay, am I still on track or am I wasting my time now? So it's, it's both. What was your experience when the relapse happened? Can you describe that experience? You went to the doctor, you expected this to I be I was going alone, actually. Um, just like, yeah, checkup. I had many checkups before, were good, all fine. So I felt myself in safety and then he told me, sorry, that something came back and I just finished the triathlon and, you know, I was just uh, having my talk on TEDx and like proclaiming I'm fine. And two weeks later, I have this relapse. So honestly, it was much harder than the first diagnose because in the first diagnose, you're naive. It's like, okay, I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be strong. And, and then you run a triathlon and you do everything you can. And then the cancer comes back. Then you feel like, wait. Maybe this is bigger than me. And, and so, and you feel also a bit betrayed because you did everything you could and you are super fit and still it comes back. So that's really scary. Were you angry? I was mainly depressed. I got like really depressed and really like apathic and hopeless. And, and the funny thing is uh, this was two weeks after my TEDx talk. And on TEDx, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this project. It will be amazing. And two weeks later, I forgot about my idea. And so my wife, she went online and she found another story from a pancreatic cancer survivor in Sweden who is doing very well. And she was like reading the story to me. And then I shifted again my mindset. So it was like the second time. Did you reach out to that patient? We documented her. She's now, her name is Catherine and the video is now online and she's still doing fine. So, yeah. Are you afraid that the cancer is going to come back again? Of course. I think I will, I'm going to be afraid my whole life. And I learned that this is normal. I mean, if I would not be afraid, I think I would be maybe a robot, you know, it's, it's to be, it's human that I'm afraid. And I learned to sit in this fear that it's okay. Yeah. A, a really good book recently came out. It's called The Choice and it's written by Edith Egar. And she's a psychotherapist from the US, but her story is that she is a Holocaust survivor. Um, and one of the interesting, one of the takeaways that I kept from the book was the realization that no matter what difficult experiences we have in life, you never really, you don't really beat them. You just learn how to cope with them. That you always have a choice how you react to it. Yeah. And it, it just because you accept it and just because you, um, you m learn how to achieve a state where the worry that you had is not paralyzing you anymore, which doesn't mean that you forgot about it or that it doesn't hurt anymore. That's very interesting. And I think in relation to that, we also have to keep in mind that this is a process. So we should not stress out if in the first moment of a heavy new situation, we don't manage. That's normal. That's human. And everybody needs a moment and time. But over the, the period of time, you will learn to cope with it, to accept it, to let go and... 
Sometimes patients, they see other patients who are doing very well or pretend to do very well and they stress out. And I just want to say everybody had to go through these phases. So don't stress out if, if you need a bit more time. It's, it's totally normal. And yeah, I strongly believe that everybody can reach this point where you get in peace with it. You recorded more than 30 stories. Not all of them are released yet. Um, what is your takeaway from all of them? I, I'm, I'm sure it's probably not just one thing. I'm sure it's a huge journey and full of impressions that it, it, that's hard to describe. Um, I think I have like two main takeaways. The, the first one is that there is not such a thing as like one golden recipe, like cancer is very personal and people react to it very personal and, and everybody has to find his or her way to cope with it. And because we had so many different <laughs> experiences that we documented from these people and it was very interesting to see that the approaches are very different and that's okay. That's good. So that's the first kind of um, taking home message that I took with me. The second one is that, and this popped up in many conversations we had, the, the importance of acceptance. That once you accept, you are like one step closer to, to cope with it. And in the beginning, the normal reaction is to, to deny it, to get angry, to say, no, why me and all this. But like once you're over it, say, okay, that's now the situation. What can I do? Like, okay, and now what? Like when you reach that level, you're already one step ahead. This was the 25th episode of Faces of Digital Health. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating or a review in iTunes. Another episode on mental health is episode 4, linked in the show notes. In that episode, Dean Ornish, clinical professor in medicine from San Francisco, talks about the critical aspects of depression. And two startup health startup founders working on mental health digital health solutions share their views on what can help and how the perception of mental health is changing in our society. And if you want to learn more about Martin's project, go to mysurvivalstory.org or find the podcast in any podcast player that you use. This is the introduction to the podcast. So the story goes something like this. When he's 32 years old, a Swiss guy called Martin gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. His doctor tells him not to Google it, but he does it anyways. And he doesn't like what he finds because he only finds stories of people dying of cancer. And Martin, being young and all, doesn't feel like reading that. Then... He meets this spunky Swedish chick. That will be me. I'm Katarina. I don't have cancer, but after meeting Martin, it became a big part of my life too. And as we were going through this experience together, we realized that we didn't enjoy living in that dying space. So we decided to go once around the world to interview cancer survivors. We wanted to find stories and find out how they live. So I say to myself, when I do what I like to do, maybe I can survive. I was close to 50 and I wanted people to see that I wasn't 
screwing around. El silencio se escucha. The idea was to gather inspiration for people going through cancer. If, if a guy who was once given three months to live, 14 days to live, uh, who was in a coma for a year of his life, who has one functioning lung, climbs Everest, anything's possible. How did you feel in this moment? C'est too good. <laughs> Japanese like style. Japanese style of suicide. Like, she felt like that. But as we went along, we realized that we were perhaps looking for answers on how to deal with our own situation too. Are you scared? A little bit, yeah. yeah. It's scary. It is scary, yeah. If you pick yourself up and you say, let's try to do something that doesn't mean that inside of you everything is solved. I should have been running around, smelling the roses and skipping, saying nothing will ever bother me again. And it wasn't like that. It's very easy to say, yeah, come on, fight it out, be brave, let us have hope. You talk to people sometimes and they say, oh my God, you're so strong, blah, blah, shut up. So go to Apple Podcast and search for My Survival Story. Click subscribe and make sure that you don't miss an episode. We're going to launch this podcast on a weekly basis, and we're dropping the first episode on October 17. Looking forward to see you then. <laughs>